love it. We are still in a study of the book of John, and for the past couple weeks, we have been camped here in John chapter 11, and uh, looking at the account of the death of Lazarus and Jesus bringing him back from the dead. And my goal in this, because you can read this account and go, oh, that's a nice story, but it really does nothing to do with us because... It's Jesus raising the dead, and I don't know, I haven't been to a funeral lately, and Jesus raised someone out of the grave. So we can look at this and kind of shrug it off and go, good story, but no application. Well, I've been trying to show you there's a lot of application here, all right? Because this, this account is about a family, two sisters and a brother. you got Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who live in this little village called Bethany, which was a suburb of Jerusalem, all right? And so you have Lazarus who, who got sick somehow. We don't know how. We don't know with what. But it was getting to a point where it was getting bad enough. How many of you know you, you get bad enough, you end up going to a doctor? All right? You just, that's where this is. He's, he's bad enough where they don't go to just a regular physician. They go to the doctor of all doctors. they they like, hey, we need to get to Jesus. They know where Jesus is at. He's not in, in their hometown. He's actually in another town called Bethany, about 20 miles away. So he's just about a six, seven hour walk away from them. And so they get message, they send a messenger to Jesus. And in verse three, it tells us that it says, when they get, the messenger gives the message to Jesus, it says, the one whom you love is ill. Now, when Mary and Martha send that, do you remember what I said about that? When they sent that message and they said, hey, the one that you love is ill, what were they expecting? They were expecting Jesus to come, all right? When you pray, do you expect Jesus to do something, or do you just like, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to expect anything? You, you, I'm kind of hoping you expect Jesus to heal you. You expect Jesus to do something financially. You, you expect Jesus to do something, all right? So they're expecting Jesus to come because Lazarus, whom they, he loves, is sick. But Jesus doesn't go immediately, does he? Do you remember how many days he took to get there? Well, he stayed two, but took two days to more. Four days total, all right? So after two days... Verse 6 says that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. He hears how sick Lazarus was and is so fired up about it. He's like, well, let's just camp here for two more days. You remember in that first series, in that first message, I talked about things we need to know when we're facing um, painful circumstances. They were facing a painful circumstance, weren't they? I mean, their brother's terminally sick. Well, in those two days, he ends up dying. And we talked about um, when we pray and Jesus doesn't move according to our timetable or how we want, when we want, sometimes do you ever feel like Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? You think these guys thought maybe for a second did Jesus, like, did he lose track of time? Did he not care about us? What's going on? Well, after the two days, he ends up departing him and his disciples. They start going toward Jerusalem. And when they get close to this, the town of Bethany where Lazarus lived and where Mary and Martha were, Martha gets news that Jesus is coming. And last week we looked at this. And she, um, her and Mary hear the message, hey, Jesus is coming. Well, Mary stays home. Martha leaves. And she gets to Jesus and she asks him the, the obvious question or says one thing that's obvious. If you would have been here... Lazarus wouldn't have died. And like I said, we all pray that way, right? We pray for something. It doesn't happen. And we, don't we do God, if you would have just done this, I wouldn't have lost my job. If you would have just done this, God, I would have been healed. If you would have just done this, we wouldn't have had the death. God, if you would have just done this. And sometimes we say those kind of things. We think God doesn't know what he's doing. And that's why we always got to remember God knows what he's doing. And he is master over every situation. Jesus was master over this situation, even though it took him four days to get there. And, J and Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Last week, we looked at Mary Martha is having a conversation with Jesus. And, Ma and Jesus looks at her and goes, Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And whoever believes in me, when he lives, will never die. And if you remember last week, do you remember the title of the, the sermon last week? Lord, liar, or lunatic. Martha has a decision to make. Man, you're either the Lord and telling me the truth, or you're a liar or a lunatic. And when Jesus says this to her, she says one thing plain and simple. Because he asked her, do you believe this? Now she's got an option. She's got a choice. And she says, yes, I do. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And you're the one who's come into this world. And I said last week, that's the, that's the, the choice you and I have got to make, every one of us. Is Jesus telling the truth and he is Lord? Or is he a liar and a lunatic? That's our choice. That's our option. And that brings us to now where we are, starting in verse 28. In verses 28 through 44, I want to look at some more spiritual truths that we can pull out of the story. And so starting in verse 28, here's the first thing I want us to see in our text today, and it's this. Jesus desires to call people to himself. The first thing we're going to see here is that Jesus calls people to himself. Because if you look now at verse 28, so Martha has been having this conversation with Jesus. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And in verse 28, it says, when she had said this, meaning if you just look right above it, when she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. It says, when she has said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, between Mar Martha saying, I do believe you are this, and she leaving, sometime in there, we don't have it, but Jesus had to have said, hey, go get Mary. Because she left and went and got Mary. Now, why is this important that Jesus says to Martha, hey, go get Mary? Because you got to go up back up to verse 20. Verse 20 is a vital verse here, okay? Because when it says that Martha and Mary hear Jesus is coming, he's just outside the village, he's five minutes away, it says that Martha got up and left but Mary stayed home, remained sitting at the table. Now, let's kind of think about that for a moment, all right? Martha shows up to Jesus, verses 20, 21. She shows up to Jesus, and that's when Martha's like, Lord, if you would have showed up, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But I sit and wonder, because how many of you know there's a, probably some conversations going on that's not written down? All right. I just don't think Martha just showed up and said, Lord, if you would have showed up, I'm thinking she showed up and there may have been some dialogue there. And here is in my thinking that the, the common sense dialogue, she shows up. I wonder if Jesus goes, hi, Martha. Where's Mary? Because Martha and Mary were like two peas in a pod. Because every time you read them in scripture, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, they're always together. They live together. So Martha shows up. And if they were that close as sisters, wouldn't it be just like common sense that Mary would be with her? Because it's Mary and Martha's brother that is now dead. So Martha shows up to Jesus I've got to just, hey, Mary, or hey, Martha, where's Mary? Oh, she didn't want to come. She stayed home. Oh, but Lord, if you would have showed up, and then they go into the conversation. And then after that conversation, Jesus says to her, hey, Martha, go get Mary. Tell her to come to me. I want to talk with her. I want to connect with her. And 
and Mar Martha leaves, talks to Martha privately. Now, why privately? We don't know. Maybe she was in a bedroom. Maybe Martha was just alone and says, hey, the teacher is calling for you. Now, let's, let's set up a couple of scenarios for, 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 for Mary, okay? Why would Mary not go? I mean, Martha hears, Martha's just as distressed as Mary, wouldn't you agree? Martha's brother is just as dead as Mary's brother. I mean, their brother has died. Their expectation of Jesus didn't come to fruition. So one scenario is this. Martha shows, or Mary is so distressed, maybe a little more than Martha, and she's truly grieving. And maybe Martha was like, hey, Jesus is coming. Do you want to go with me? And maybe Mary was like, no, Martha, I don't want to go. I'm, I, my heart's just breaking. I'm just going to stay home. That could be the scenario. Or perhaps it's a second scenario, which I'm kind of thinking is probably more likely. The second scenario is Martha and Mary hear that Jesus is coming. Martha's like, let's go, Mary. And Mary's like, nope, I'm not going. Because she's probably grieving, yes, the emotion of grief is very real, but I'm wondering if there's maybe a second emotion that she's dealing with. Anger. And here's why. Because just like Martha, when Martha showed up to Jesus, what was one of the first things she said? Lord, if you would have been here, her expectation wasn't met. If you look at verse 32, it says, now when Mary came, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You see, what's the first thing on their hearts? Jesus didn't show up when we sent for him. We asked him four days ago to show up. We even said, the one that you love is sick. Come. They didn't ask him to come, but they just assumed he will come. He loves us. He and even tells us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved them deeply. But for some reason, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And then when he left, took two more days to finally get there. Four days. And it even says when he finally arrived, he knew that Lazarus was in the grave for four days. He did not meet their expectation. So I'm wondering if Mary was just mad. Now, don't get religious on me because let me ask you, do you ever get mad at God? Have you ever shaken your fist at God? Have you ever like, forget it, I'm not going to pray today because God didn't. We all do. Mary was probably just exhibiting real emotion. I'm grieving and I'm mad. I'm grieving because my brother died and he didn't have to because the one I'm, I really thought could show up did not show up. And he just didn't show up for one day or two days or three days. He Let me ask you, do you think after about three and a half days, you think maybe they were pondering? Is Jesus ever going to show up? And then he gets in, they get into day four. And they're like, where is he? And then they finally hear Jesus is coming. Now, what I love about this, verse 28, is that Jesus didn't look at Martha and go, very good, Martha. You came out. But Mary, if she wants to throw a pity party and she wants to stay home, fine. But Martha, I'll go with you. He doesn't. He stays right where he's at, and he says, Martha, go tell Mary to come here. I love that. Because Jesus is just simply showing me in this text. He goes, I don't care if she's mad at me. I don't care what she said. I don't care that she stayed home. I love her too much. Go get her and bring her here. He's calling for her. And do you realize it's no different for you and me? Jesus still calls you and me. 
And I think he calls us in three different ways. One way he calls us is this. He calls us into a new relationship. He calls you and I into a new relationship. And what I mean by that is when, when you are an unbeliever, no matter who you are, what you've done, and what you're doing, no matter how sinful you are, God whispers in our ear, I want you. Hey, do you know I sent my son to die for you? I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. I want you to be in my family. And the Holy Spirit will sit there and speak to you. That's why when you're sitting in here in, in a church service, like maybe I'm, you know, I'm thinking like last Sunday and I'm proclaiming the gospel, I'm proclaiming the truth of your sin and who Christ is. Do you ever have that, that you can just hear that voice? Hey, say yes. Don't reject me today. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. You see, that's the Holy Spirit trying to draw your heart to him. That's the Holy Spirit trying to draw you to God. That's the same thing Jesus did as does in Matthew. You see this with all of the, the disciples. You see this with, with Matthew, the tax collector. Hey, Matthew, come follow me. You see this with Peter, James, and Andrew, fishermen, probably cussing like sailors all the time, you know, rough fishermen. Hey, guys, come follow me. And you see this in Matthew 11 when he looks at the people and he says, are you weary and heavy burdened? Are you tired of what these Pharisees keep putting on you? I'm telling you, come to me and I'll give you rest. You see, Jesus wants this new relationship with us and he calls us into that new relationship over and over. But the second kind of relationship he calls us into is this, a refreshed relationship. And what I mean by a refreshed relationship is maybe you're here and you know you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're a Christian, but maybe you were kind of like Mary. You've had some things happen and you just kind of, I'm angry. And maybe your relationship with God has kind of drifted a little bit. Maybe your heart has just become a little numb and cold. You're just a little, you know, you're just like... You're, you're, you're like not really fired up where you used to be. You know what God does? Come to me. He still calls us. He's not looking at you going, well, I gave you a chance. I'm going to go talk to these people over here because they're fired up and you're not anymore. No. He still says, hey, it's like Hosea 6. It says, let us return to the Lord. That he will revive us. In Acts chapter 3, it talks about turning again to the Lord. That times of refreshing, refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. It's just turning again. And maybe that's where you're at. You know you're a believer, but boy, you've just kind of drifted. You're like that boat with no anchor, man. You just, you're just drifting. Maybe it's time to turn back times of refreshing because he's still calling you and then the last way he calls us is this into a deeper relationship this is for all of us you know you're you're a believer you're not drifting you you're just you're doing your thing as a believer but how many of you know um god doesn't want you just on the same plateau for the rest of your life all right he's like oh you're a believer good just stay there just stay there just stay there nope Guess where he wants you? Here's where you are. Now he's going to go, let's go a little bit deeper. You see, the Bible in, in, in Corinthians, Paul talks about being transformed into the image of Christ and going from glory to glory. It's kind of like different levels of spiritual maturity. And, and in the book of Isaiah, it talks about that whether you turn to the left or you turn to the right, you're going to hear a voice behind you saying, hey, this is the way. Walk in it. Because as a believer, we're all prone to wander. We're all prone to, to be gripped by the things of the world. But God is always trying to pull us away from that, trying to pull us deeper into a relationship with him. And so whether you've been a believer for five minutes or 50 years, he wants you to go deeper. He wants you to just 
let's go deeper together. And he calls us into that deeper relationship. So whether it's a new relationship, a refreshed relationship, or a deeper relationship, Jesus desires to call people to himself. Here's the second thing that we see in this text, and it is this, is that Jesus grieves over the effects of sin and the pain of death. That he grieves over these things. Now, if you look at, starting in verse 30, it says, Jesus had not yet come into the village of Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. It says, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly. So Mary is in the house by herself. She's She's grieving. She's there. Just Martha's been with Jesus. Martha's on the way back. Martha talks to Mary, says, hey, Jesus is calling for you. So now Mary is like, really? He wants, he still wants me to come. I mean, I didn't go. He still wants me. And she gets up and she gets up quickly. And it says, and she rose quickly and she went out and all these people who were there with her they followed her, supposing that she was going to the grave, the tomb, to weep more there. Verse 32, it says, When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Now some of you may have a version that says that he was mourning in his spirit. But he was deeply moved or mourning, and he was greatly, or not mourning, groaning. Excuse me, groaning, not mourning, groaning. And he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? Laid him, and they said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. Do you want to know why I teach you the word? Why I, I teach chapter by chapter, and at times verse by verse, and sometimes word by word? Because I want you to understand what the Bible says, all right? This is one of those accounts. On the surface, if you just read this, just like I did, you, just, you read that, hey, Mar Mary shows up, she's crying, the people with her are crying, and then Jesus is deeply moved, and he weeps. On the surface, it looks like it's a typical funeral. Jesus is sad for them. He's crying with them. That's the way it appears, yes? That is not what he's crying about. I hope this is an eye-opener for some of you. When it says that Jesus is weeping and he's, he's deeply moved, he's not weeping because they're actually crying. He is, but he's not. When it says that he's deeply moved, or if you have the, a, a different version that says he was groaning inside, and he was deeply troubled. Do you want to know? The idea of being deeply moved actually means indignation. It means that he was angry. And you got to be like, why would he be angry at these people for weeping about Lazarus' death? He's not angry at them. He's angry at the cause of what's causing them to weep. And what is the cause? Sin and death. Jesus weeps, not really because they're weeping. He's weeping that his friends are feeling the effects of sin and feeling the pain of death. Because Jesus... How many, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. How many of you know he was there in the beginning of creation? All right? He was there in the garden. He, was, he knew everything. He knew in the very beginning when God creates everything and it was good. It was perfect. Nothing wrong with it. Sinless. And he creates Adam and Eve. Do you remember one command that God gave Adam? Do not eat of one tree. Do not eat, Adam, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the moment you do that, we have a problem on our hands. 
people die. You see, sin and death was never the intention of God. When God created creation, when he created everything, sin and death was not part of the picture. Sin and death entered in after Adam and Eve disobeyed. You see, here's where people start to dialogue. You'll hear people, when you start talking about sin, that sin was never the intention of God in the beginning, people will say, well, then why did God create sin? God did not create sin. God gave Adam a choice. He gave him freedom. He gave him everything in the Garden of Eden except one tree. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. Leave it alone, Adam, because the moment you eat of that tree, you're going to die. He gave him a choice. He gave him freedom. So the argument continues, and people will say, well, if God knew that his freedom would do that, then why did he give him freedom? Let me ask you, do you think God wants robots worshiping him? Do you, want, do you think God just wanted people he, that he, he would force our hand to worship him, to follow him, to obey him, and to love him? Do you think that's what God was after? No. He wants people to have freedom. Freedom to love him. Freedom not to. Freedom to choose him. Freedom to reject him. Freedom to follow him. Freedom to follow the world. Freedom to worship him, freedom not to. He gave Adam and Eve freedom, the freedom of choice. And they made a choice, didn't they? They chose to disobey. And when they disobeyed, they opened the door for sin and pain and hurt, death, destruction, all of it. To come into creation. Again, the argument continues. Well, if God knew that that would be the case, and if he still gave them freedom, then why does he just not wipe away sin? Why did he not stop it? Why does he not stop death? And to, for now, in our, in our current time, from then until now, now this may sound like heresy. God can't stop it. Because the Bible tells us this, that God is not a man that he should lie. The Bible says God cannot lie. So everything, think of it this way, everything Satan says, anything that comes out of Satan's mouth is a lie. Satan can't tell the truth. God cannot lie. Everything that comes out of God's mouth is truth. So anything he says is true. The second thing the Bible tells us about God is this. In the book of Isaiah, it says that God put his word out. He spoke it into existence. And he says that my word will not return to me void, but it will do and it will accomplish what I've set it forth to do. So in the creation time, when Adam and Eve sinned, when God first told Adam, if you eat of this tree, Adam, you will die. That's the truth. And that's a word that was spoken. A word that will accomplish what he said it It will not return to God void. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, ate of the tree, what God said came to pass. And then God took Adam and Eve and the snake and creation, and he spoke a curse over it. And that curse had to go forth. God couldn't say, you will surely die, and then later on go, nope, I'm going to take that back. Because then that would make him what? A liar. He could not speak the curse and then go, nope, I'm going to change it. Because that would make him what? A liar. God cannot lie. No matter how, he cannot. You and I can't understand that. God cannot lie. So when he said to Adam, you will die, 
it had to come to pass. When he said, cursed are you, Adam. Cursed are you, Eve. Cursed is creation. It had to come to pass. So from the time of creation all the way to now, guess what's happening? The word of God is being fulfilled. Sin, and we feel the effects of that. Pain, hurt, death, all of it is the effects of what Adam and Eve did. And God spoke it. And that's what we're... So God, for right now, cannot do anything about that. He won't change it. But, everybody say but. There's good news. The good news is um, God is going to do something about it. In the book of Revelation, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. Revelation chapter 21. There's going to come a day, and we've talked about this, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for the church. He's, going to, he's coming back. Everybody say he's coming back. And God's going to change everything at that point. But at the very end of all creation, at the very end, it's going to say this. Here's what Revelation 21 says. John says, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, this is the first earth, the first heaven is the, the universe and everything like that, has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. So that would be like God Almighty speaking, and I love this, a loud voice, so there's no like misunderstanding this. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And here it is. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things that's coming. But for now, for the interim, guess what? God, until that takes place, God has given us provision. He can't take away sin completely. He, won't, he, he can't take it out of the world. He can't take away the curse. It's still here. But he's provided a provision for us. Do you know what the provision is? Jesus Christ. We still, we still feel the effects of sin and we feel the pain of death on this side of heaven. But here's the thing. Jesus came to, to, to take our sin and to take our death upon himself. So when you and I make that decision, we understand, man, I'm a sinner. And you make the decision to accept Christ, to, like, Mar like Martha, to believe that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the one that's come into this world to save us, and you accept him as your Savior, that changes everything. That is where 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 comes into play. That God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that through him, you and I can become the righteousness of God. You see... On this side of heaven, man, we feel the effect of sin. Everything, we see the effects, and unfortunately, we still feel the pain of death. Jesus is grieving, not in the emotional sense that we think what grief is. His heart is grieved. It's broken. His heart is angry at what he's seen. He's like, my friends should not have to deal with this because this was never my father's design. But because of disobedience from Adam, they have to experience it. And he's angry at it. He's angry and he's grieving on the inside because his friends, the one he loved, has now died. And Mary and Martha and all these people are going through that. Every time you go to a funeral, kind of think about that, that the heart of Christ still grieves because we shouldn't be going through it. 
But unfortunately, we are. So Jesus grieves over the effects of sin and the pain of death. Here's the third thing. Jesus grieves over unbelief. He grieves over unbelief. So in verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. In verse 36, it says, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Man, there were people who were like, man, he loved Lazarus so much, he's weeping with us. But look at verse 37. But some of them said, there's always somebody. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept him from dying? Now, who was the blind man? You got to go back to chapter 9. And this was the guy that was born blind from birth, and now he's an adult. And, and Jesus is like, put some mud in his eyes, go wash, boom, gives him sight. And these people are basically saying, he heals the eyes of a stranger, gives him sight, doesn't know him from anybody, but the man he loved, the family he loved, he couldn't heal him? See, these people are doubting Jesus. They're like, what kind of Messiah is this? What kind of miraculous worker is this? If he can do this for this guy and he can't do it for this guy, who is this guy? Doubting him. In fact, even Martha now begins to doubt Jesus. Now look at verse 38. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again. Now I'm going to come back to that here in a second. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been, in the, he's been dead for four days. Now, Mary, Martha's like, oh, Jesus, I know you can do a lot of things. But he's been dead for four days. And it's going to stank really bad. Why are we even going to do this? She's doubting, isn't she? Now, you notice in verse 38, after the people said, well, he, he healed the blind man. Why couldn't he heal this guy? You notice it says that again, Jesus was deeply moved. Or he was groaning inside. Same Greek word as verse 33. Same scenario. He is not grieving like sad. He's angry. Indignation inside. But his anger has shifted. What do you think he's angry at now? Unbelief. He's upset that these people are doubting him. He's upset that they can't trust him. He's, he's just wanting somebody to go, dude, I don't know how, but you can do something. I don't know what you can do, Jesus, but I've seen you do some phenomenal things. So if you can raise a dead dude after four days, giddy up. But nobody was there. In everybody's eyes, this was what? Impossible. He's been dead too long, Jesus. His body is too decayed, Jesus. It's impossible, Jesus. Do you ever think that? It's too much money, Jesus. Sickness is too far, Jesus. My loved one's been away from Jesus. They, 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 they don't know you, Jesus. Do you ever look at things in life, circumstances, and you just, like, immediately, no faith. You just jump right in the boat of unbelief. Because it looks too ominous. It looks too hard. It's too impossible. There's no way. Not even God Almighty can change this circumstance. And you jump in the boat of unbelief too quick. Jesus wants us to look at our circumstances and be able to just to go, I have no idea. But I'll trust you. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Think about that. Without faith. It is impossible 
to please God. Now, why does faith please God? Because faith is you and me acknowledging, God, I just trust you. Now, I've said this before, and let me say it again, what faith is and what faith is not. Faith is not you and I trying to coerce God. It is not you and I demanding God. It is not you and I trying to convince God to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and give me it now, God. That is not faith. And I'm telling you, I think one of the worst teachers right now is Joel Osteen in this. Because he is always saying, hey, if you're sick, all you need, if you, if you need healing, all you got to do is declare in Jesus' name, I'm healed. Really? Or you got money problems in Jesus' name, I'm prosperous. In Jesus' name, I have supernatural favor. In Jesus' name, I have. In Jesus' name. In Je and that's faith. Well, my question is, is what am I doing when in Jesus' name, I'm praying for healing for my daughter and she still dies of leukemia? Well, that's when the faith teacher's like, well, maybe you just didn't exercise enough faith. The audacity to tell someone that if you would have just maybe shouted a little more in Jesus' name, you would have gotten it. Faith is not me in any way saying, God, this is what I want when I want it, and you better do it in Jesus' name. Faith is, God, I don't know how in the world these circumstances are going to change, but I trust you. Faith is, God, this is impossible. The, the, the doctor has given me, he's given me the diagnosis. I don't know how it's going to change, but God, I trust you. My job has told me that they're going to be making a lot of cuts. God, I don't know where it's going to go, but God, I trust you. You see, faith is me being able to say, God, even when I don't see my circumstances move one iota, God, I trust you. God, even when you decide to take four days... And this thing ends up in the grave. God, I trust you. That, loved ones, is faith. Not you and me conjuring up, well, I want, I want $100,000 this year, and in Jesus' name, I proclaim it. No. In Jesus' name, I proclaim I trust him. And what he so chooses to do because he is master over my life and over every situation. He is master. I am not. And I will trust him that his way is perfect and his timing is perfect. And how many of you know, and I've said this time and time and time again, his ways and his time may not necessarily align with you. But can you still trust him? Because he is God, and we are not. Jesus grieves over unbelief. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have times of doubt. We all have times of doubt, right? Unbelief is when I truly say, I don't think God can do this. Unbelief is when I truly choose and make a decision not to trust God. These people were saying, Jesus, we don't trust you. And he was grieved, heartbroken over their lack of trust. It's okay to go to God in prayer and go, God, help me with my unbelief. God, I, I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I'm scared. God, I am, I, I'm worried. God, I, I, I don't know where this health crisis is going to go. God, I don't know where my family, God, I don't know if my child will come back to Christ. God, I don't know if my husband will ever get saved. I don't know, God, but I know one thing. I trust you. I'll trust you. And I just sit and picture if the God's like, that makes me happy. My child just trusting their father. And they're just going to let me be God in all this situation. And I wonder if that puts a smile in his heart. Because with faith, it is possible to please God. And that's where we need to be. Trusting God and not having unbelief. And then lastly, 
The last thing we need to see here, and this is the point where I think this whole thing for me is about. Jesus resurrects even the most unlikely sinner. He resurrects even the most unlikely sinner. So Martha now, she's even displaying some unbelief here. And if you look at verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you've always heard me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they, here it is, may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had, been di who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I, what a great account. First, it's like he, 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 he specifically says Lazarus. You know, it's said that if Jesus just would have said, hey, come out, you would have had like a horde of people coming out of the tomb. Like what? Huh? The world, huh? what? Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come to me. Still calling, man. Calling the dead people. But I pictured Lazarus. Could you just imagine? Because how many of you know when the body dies, the spirit's gone? Could you imagine? Just try to put that. And Lazarus was like, oh my gosh, what in the world? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Comes up. Somebody help me. Somebody. I mean, he's wrapped up. And I sit and picture, what's the crowd going? Oh man, we have the walking dead on our hands now. And, they, and he, I love this. Unbind him. Let him go. Isn't that what Jesus is about? Isn't Jesus about unbinding those who are spiritually dead, bound up with sin, bound up with the things of this world? And he wants to call them out of that into his light, into his life. And let me ask you, do you ever look at people and go, there's no way. These people are looking at this situation and going, there's no way he's coming out of the tomb. He's been dead for four days. You're, what? You're either a liar or a lunatic. And he shows that he is Lord. How many people do we have in our lives? And we look at him and go, there's no way. I mean, they, 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 they've been like... They, they, Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's just sinful living. Maybe it's just their hatred toward God. Whatever it may be. But you look at your daughter. You look at your son. You look at your husband. You look at your wife. You look at your best friend. You look at your coworker, And you've, been, you've known these people for years. And you're like, man, nothing has ever dented them. I've tried to talk to them, but they look at me like, I don't want to hear that. Walk away. And you're just like, yeah, I give up. It's, it's been too long Jesus they've been dead too long God they stink there's no hope here Jesus they will never come to you so you know what I'm gonna move past them and I'm gonna move to this friend because they're easy and we give up and we stop praying we stop believing we stop asking and I've said this before you may pray for a loved one. You may pray for your spouse. You may pray for your child. You may pray for your parent. You may pray for a best friend. You may pray for a coworker. And here's the thing. You may not see it in your lifetime. Can you be okay with that? Because you got to believe that your prayers are like seeds. As a grandma, you need to be praying for your grandchild. Your grandchild may be 13 and be looking like, oh, man, they are so whatever. Pray for them. Keep praying for them. And you may die at 95, but when they turn 45, they come to know Jesus. Why? Because you kept sowing seed, believing and praying and praying and praying. I truly believe I am born again because of my grandma. Because she always told me. And when my grandma says, I'm praying for you, you can ask Paula. 
my grandma was praying. And she used to say, I prayed for you when you were a child. And me growing up, you would have looked at me and said, there's no hope there. But my grandma kept praying. And here I am. Who, are you, who do you need to pray for? Who have you given up on? There is no one so far gone. There is no one whose heart is so hard. There is no one so deep in sin. There is so, no one so dead in their sin that Jesus Christ cannot say, come out and raise them from the dead. But can you just keep trusting? That's why we got Easter coming up. Perfect time to invite them. Well, Jim, I've been praying for them. I've invited them. They don't ever come. Is it your job to change them? No. Is it your job to convince the unconvinced? No. Guess what your job? Pray, believe, leave the results in God's hands. So you pray, you believe, let God be God. And if they show up on Easter, man, do a hoot and holler, hey, woohoo! And say, they came, wow! Maybe not in front of them, but do it sometime. But if you invite them and they don't show up, don't kick the can to the curb and go, well, I figured that would happen. I prayed and nothing happened. Well, of course nothing's going to happen. But can you pray, believe God, and say, God, I've been praying for my daughter for a long time. Now I'm going to keep believing you. God, I've been praying for my husband. Oh, my gosh, God, I don't know how long. But God, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep believing Lord, I've been, I've, been, I've been the only Christian at my, at, my, at my job for 15 years. But God, I'm going to keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep letting God just be. I'm telling you, you never know when that person all of a sudden get it. And they come, and guess what? They're unbound. And they're walking out of the tomb. And they're saying, the grave that I was in has now become a garden. Because God has resurrected them. Amen? Let's all stand. We're going to sing that song, Resurrecting Me, again. Because if you are a believer here today, how many of you know you've been resurrected? God brought you out of the tomb. He unwrapped you and unbound you and... That's just a great song to say, the resurrected king is still resurrecting me. So let, let, me, let me close this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to just close with this song. Father, we do thank you.